Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Gray Matters podcast, which is the temporary name. We were very clever when we named this Gray Matters and then found that there were 45 other Gray Matter podcasts. I think the nice thing is if you're looking for us on Spotify, you get a lot of thumb exercise because you scroll and you scroll and you will eventually find us. You'll eventually find us, but we'll we'll come up with a new name uh, at some point. But Jeannie, yes. Cody, Dr. Jeannie Cody, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. How are you, Dr. Pacer? I'm doing very well, thank you. I d- I'm a little nervous because this is the first time I'm sitting in front of this intimidating board that has a bunch of knobs and lights and green things doing things. Uh, so there's a fairly good chance that we're not recording anything at all, <laughs> um, but we'll see how it goes. I am also intimidated because my mom and dad are standing right outside the glass filming as we talk. That That's speaking of uh, your mom and dad are the best, by the way, speaking, I told you this before, but every time I speak to my father, he still talks about how much he loves you. I think he's got Aww. kind of a crush. Hi, Rob's dad. How are you? <laughs> he will, he will <laughs> be thrilled with that. <sighs> well, um, talking neurology and, um, uh, it's been a little bit since we've recorded our last podcast, mm-hmm. so um, uh, we're sorry about that, but we'll we'll get a little bit better at, at getting these things done regularly, maybe. Yes, I think so. Um, well, yeah, anything gets better with wine, experience, <laughs> everything gets better with time and age and exactly. practice. Lots of um, but we thought maybe this time it would be fun to kind of dive a little more into some of the things that we see and do in a day. And kind of go through some fun cases, some complicated cases, and just how fun or gratifying or weird neurology can be in a given day. I feel like this is cheating as a topic because it's the brain. It's cool. So there's so many different. So cool. There's so many different things. And we see them a lot. So I think we kind of get numb to them. But when you actually start talking about it, like, whoa, that happens? That's amazing. You know what else is really fun is so many times people will say something and then wait for me to say that's either not a thing or they're crazy. And it's like, no, that's a thing. Yeah. I can tell you how. I can tell you the pathway. And a lot of people have that. Yeah. So it's really fun sometimes to hear a story and in your head map out the neurologic pathway. It is. And have it all make sense. You're, you're absolutely right, though. We have people that uh, <laughs> they're almost sheepish and they say, yes. well, this is going on. And we're like, no, you're cool. It's yeah. fine. It, it, it even has a name, whatever yeah. that thing is. Yeah. It has a name for it. Yeah. Usually somebody from the 1800s. <laughs> I'm still waiting on what I can call for myself. The c- Cody, I, Cody syndrome? Yeah, what I can claim. Hmm. I need something. I haven't found it yet, but I am I'm looking. Well, uh, if I have any say in it, I'll, I'll name something after you. Thank you. You're I'd welcome. appreciate that. Some sort of palsy. Like, okay. I'll, you know what? I'll take anything. Nerve palsy. Um, I'll take it. You are uh, much more uh, organized and prepared than I am. With It looks like you've got some cases that you actually have uh, notes on. If you can't see, I have cases printed in front of me so that I can be accurate and concise in relaying my experiences. Uh, I have some cases that I thought about before I came here. Mm-hmm. We'll see how well the old memory does. This is but why we're a good blend. <laughs> that's right. Um Start us off. What, what do you got? Okay. So I actually selected two cases. And my thought was one case is a bit more complicated 
and one is just nice, clean neurology. Like a person came in, they had a problem, and we fixed it. And then that one was really straightforward. Not every case is super complicated. Sometimes it's just really simple. And, and, and so I kind of picked two, one on each side of it. That's a good idea. The, the, uh, the, some of the just straightforward, this happens, it gets fixed. Those are some of the most satisfying ones. Yes. Yeah. I thought, though, I'd start with the more complicated one first. Cool. While people are still fresh and ready to listen. Awesome. So I was in my fellowship at the time that I met this patient. And fellowship is time that you spend in training after your residency. So residency is where I learned to be a neurologist. And then fellowship is where I learned to specialize within neurology in the field of MS and related disorders. So this is when I was in my uh, fellowship learning more about cases like MS and MS mimics. So whenever they'd come into the hospital, I would get consulted to see the patient and try to come up with a plan. So this is just one of the coolest cases, I think, still, which is probably hard. Uh, it's a high bar to set for a neurologist because you see so many things yeah. in, a, in a day and in a week and in a month. But this one still just is one of my favorites. So this was um, actually a really young female. She was a t uh, teenager, an older teenager at the time. And she started having nausea and she started throwing up again and again and again and you might say well what does that have to do with neurology but sometimes it does because go ahead sorry everything goes back to the brain right that's why we're the best because the brain controls everything yes obviously um, and it has a nausea center so sometimes nausea can be a brain thing um, and so she was puking but then she got really hungry and she started eating and eating and eating nonstop. Yeah. And we call that hyperphagia. And I never actually seen it before. I'd only ever read about it. So when I met this young woman, it was amazing. She never stopped eating. While I was talking to her, she was eating. If the food was taken away, her hands were reaching to the food till she could find it to continue to eat. What was she, what did she say that she was just hungry? Did she, what did she, she, well, at the time she was also doing something called confabulation, which is making up, uh, making up answers, making up information. So talking to her was a little bit interesting. And a lot of this really came from her parents who were at bedside giving me the story because she, uh, couldn't really be trusted in the moment. She was, she was just saying whatever felt like coming out of her mouth. So can you describe confabulation? So basically when asked questions, you are coming up with responses and they may not be accurate um, or, or really the correct answer to the question, but you're just sort of coming up with a story, if you will, or just coming up with an answer. Is it lying? I feel like lying is deception and this is not them being deceptive. Yeah. This is them putting words together to answer questions. At least that's how I think about it. You know, they're not intentionally trying to trick me. They're just talking to me. So if you were confabulating, I said, hey, Dr. Cody, what did you do yesterday? I might say that I, you know, hand glided or paraglided and jumped out of an airplane. And then I went on a deep sea dive in a, you know, single manned submarine or, you know, something just just an answer. That's crazy. And you and totally like, believe well, it. No, that didn't happen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I saw you yesterday. That person's really interesting. <laughs> uh, so, 
So talking to her was tricky, and eating was endless. And at the time, she was actually eating Oreos. And in the time we were in the room together, I think she had eaten about two-thirds of the whole package of, like, a family-sized package of Oreos. I, I do the same. Just, <laughs> yeah, didn't about stop. About two sleeves of Oreos take me about five minutes. And then she was also getting sleepy, and she was starting to sleep in between the periods where she was awake and making up answers and eating. So she was sort of eating, sleeping, confused, and starting to go blind. Ooh. Yes. I, I would say those first few are things that someone might say, well, she's a teenager and going through some yeah, stuff. Yeah, sleeps in, likes to snack. Eating a moody, moody teen, teenager should not make you go blind. True. You're right. I guess you could sort of see some of this in, in teenagers, but I promise this was to a level that I was like, what is this? <laughs> um, and was going blind in both eyes. And by the time I met her, she had gained about just under 50 pounds in the few months since this had started and was approaching legal blindness, like legally blind. Um, and was admitted to the hospital to try to figure out what was going on. And she had a picture taken of her brain. She had an MRI done, and it showed inflammation that was happening in the optic nerves, which are the nerves that connect the eyeball to the brain to help transmit vision, which is why we think she couldn't see. And she had some scarring that was occurring in parts of the brain that had to do with memory and emotion and appetite regulation. So in her thalamus and hypothalamus and something called the mammillary bodies, and they were glowing. And where I think part of this is interesting, and, and if you're a not neurologist, you might think this is not an interesting part, but they diagnosed her as having a vitamin deficiency, which I thought was strange because she's gained 50 pounds from nutrient intake. <coughs> um, and I guess if you only ate one food... Maybe. But she was eating everything. And I thought, well, how do you really get a nutrient deficiency if you're eating nonstop anything in front of you? Does that really make sense? It seems like a stretch. Uh, the certainly, nutrient deficiencies can cause some disconnected things. But this, oh, totally. this, this is a lot of stuff for a simple nutrient deficiency. Yes. And they were treating her by giving back this vitamin. That was the treatment. And I was like, oh, I'm not so sure. This just doesn't quite make sense. And when we tested the vitamins, they came back fine, of course, because she's 18. She doesn't have any digestive issues. She's not had gastric surgery. She has no reason to be nutrient deficient. Um, so then we started to think, well, what else can cause these types of attacks to the brain in these areas in young people? And we went down the path of neuroinflammatory cases, things that are irritating your immune system and, as a consequence, attack healthy neurologic tissue like brains and nerves and we sent some blood tests and one blood test came back abnormal helping us give this girl an answer and ultimately it was a test for an antibody to something called aquaporin 4 antibody what so can you describe what that is so antibody is basically a, a sort of a protein that gets produced. And some antibodies have good jobs, but some antibodies your body can, can sort of react to in a negative way. Yeah. And um, in this case, she was making a, an aquaporin-4 antibody, and her, her 
body was responding in a negative way, which produced damage in her optic nerves, damage in her brain, and was really driving this whole process. So giving an answer then lets us start to manipulate her immune system to try to really control for this, prevent antibody production, and really let her immune system stop misbehaving to try to help her. So ultimately, we diagnosed her with something called neuromyelitis optica, or NMO. Have you ever seen this before, Dr. Pace? I have seen it, and it is scary. Um, It is scary because it can get real bad real fast for people. Um, There's a variety of conditions where your immune system attacks your brain or your nerves, and um, they can they can be serious. But uh, there's not there are few that are as serious as quickly as neuromyelitis. Yeah. And hers was a little atypical, too, because classically we think of optic nerves, sure, you know, optic neuritis, but usually we see spinal cord involvement, and she had none. Usually we see really long attacks to the spinal cord. Hers was all really more this deep central brain with the behavior changes and the eating changes. So hers was um, a little less typical of a presentation, still well described, but not the most common. Part of what's been so great about this case is it's a case, it's a condition you want to find fast, but it presented in a way with a little bit of a plot twist. So it's just interesting to remember. But I think also super gratifying was how we helped her. So we filtered her blood to try to remove the antibodies. We gave her something called plasma exchange. And then we started her on a medicine called Rituxan. This was many years ago, so that was really kind of our best bet at the time. Um, Now we have approved treatment options, but back then we did not. Um, And that did an amazing job at helping prevent future attacks. But we were still left with a lot of symptoms that we had to manage. Um, And one of them was the sleepiness. And so we put her on some wake-promoting agents. We put her on something called modafinil, helped her wake up really quite nicely. She she actually responded beautifully to that medication. Um, And then we put her on a medicine called loraglutide, which is also known as Saxenda for the hyperphagia or the intractable eating, just that nonstop consumption of food. Because when I saw her in clinic, she was up another 30 pounds. She was pushing like 200, and I I honestly was really worried that like she was going to get heart damage or something terrible was going to happen to her if she didn't stop eating. This this was a cool Jeannie Cody moment for me because I remember you telling me about this case years Mm -hmm. ago, and you said you were going to put her on this thing, and I said, what is that thing? I've never heard of that drug before in my life, and I have now because yes. they're becoming a lot more uh, uh, commonly used. Yes. So this was actually, this drug wasn't approved until late 2014. So even at the time of this case, this was still probably not even on some infor- on some formularies yet. And, and liraglutide is um, a, t- a class of medicine called a GLP agonist. And more contemporary counterparts are things like Wagovi or semaglutide that some people might be familiar with, or Ozempic is another example of a GLP agonist. And liraglutide or Saxenda is approved for weight uh, management, weight reduction in overweight and obesity. Um, And in her case, it was so, so new that I also had never heard of it. And we got it through a compassionate use program um, to get her this medicine, an endocrinologist helped me get this for her. Cool. And I don't think I even understood the significance of what this could offer yet. And I'm like, he said she needs it. We need to get it for her. How do we get this thing? And we got it. And it 
stopped the hyperphagia and allowed her to have a normal relationship with food and allowed her to take all of that weight off. And it took a long time, right? It wasn't like overnight she dropped 80 pounds. Right. But but every time I saw her, she was another 15, 20 pounds, you know, down and eventually was able to get to a normal weight. And by this point, her brain had healed beautifully. She was able to come off of the Saxenda. She was able to come off of the wake-promoting medicines and really lead a normal life. She's uh, got a beautiful child. She is working. She is busy. Um, and she's she's doing really well. That's um, awesome. But I think this is this was such a fun case for so many reasons. It was an exotic presentation yeah. of a somewhat less common disease. There was a misdiagnosis that I got to come in and kind of switch things up. And I got to learn about a whole new field of medicine, the GLP agonists and how they talk to the brain um, and how those can be a tool in the context of, of brain damage resulting in or causing hyperphagia. This, uh, so... Uh Dr. Cody is one of the first or one of the only, as far as I know, uh, uh, dual boarded neuroimmunologist and obesity medicine specialist. So she, she, uh, has maybe probably for, cause of part this case. So, um, it's a, it's a cool case. When yeah. I think back, I've always, uh, loved nutrition and, um, but this case in particular really, I think was probably that first connecting piece between weight hunger, obesity, and neurology, probably that first case that really, for me, tied these worlds together, right? Everybody knows what neurology is. Everybody knows what obesity is, but you don't always think of them as having shared features or overlap or similarities. There's a ton, actually. Um, But yeah, I think this was one of the first cases that really tied that together for me. It's, uh, It's one of the things that makes neurology fun uh, and sometimes challenging because uh, if you list any symptom that a human can have or that, mm-hmm. a, that an organism can have, it could be neurologic in origin. Certainly, mm-hmm. you know, nausea and things like that you can get from more commonly you know, gastro problems, and stomach problems, intestinal problems, what, whatever. But, um, but any symptom mm-hmm. can come from somewhere in the brain. Yeah, fevers, yeah. heart rate changes. Uh, hungers and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, cool. I, that the brain is, the brain is really awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so she's doing great. I see her every six months. We've not had any more attacks since this one. This was many years ago now, and uh, really was I think and will forever be one of my favorite cases. Do you still have her on that that treatment that that stops the antibody production? Yes, we have. She's done so well on it. And um, so we've not had a need to change or move her to one of the more contemporary treatments. But if there's ever any glimmer that we're not doing our job, you know, we always we always will revisit. Are we treating people the right way? Each time I see them, I step back and say, is what I'm doing the right call or do I got to do something different every six months? Sometimes if it ain't broke, we don't want to fix it. Yes. Um, I'm really, really glad that you had a case with optic neuritis mm-hmm. um, because it segues into the one of the ones that I thought about talking about today. Ooh, tell me more. Okay. So, um, uh, again, less organized. So I'm going to make up the, the ages a little bit because I don't remember exactly. But um, this was a uh, an overnight consult while I was a resident um, doing the night shift 
in the emergency room for a patient that was in his mid-50s and came in with uh, confusion. And he uh, was a normal guy. Family said that he was no problems, no mental health issues, no drugs, no alcohol, um, but had uh, recently been put on a medication to treat colitis. So he was put on medication Ooh. for for uh, C. diff colitis and, uh, called Flagyl. And um, this was started maybe a week or so before, and uh, shortly after starting taking it, he came in with this profound confusion. He didn't know who he was. He was being violent um, uh, or, or aggressive towards his family members. And when when uh, he came in, he, he was you couldn't get a, a, a uh, exam on him because he wouldn't let you near him. Um, they uh, in the emergency room got some medications and did some blood work, did some basic tests to make sure sort of typical things weren't there. And then, as happens when someone has strange uh, acute changes in brain function, uh, called us. They they had done a, a, a CT scan of the head, which gives a pretty good picture of the brain, um, but not as detailed of a picture as the MRI that was obtained later. Um, the MRI that was obtained later showed an interesting pattern of uh, uh, white matter changes. So the brain, you can kind of break it up into two different types of tissues, white matter and gray matter. Uh, gray matter is the processing stuff. It's all along the surface of the brain and a few of the deep parts of the brain where all the information is um, interpreted and, and sent on. And then it's sent to connect to other nerves via white matter. Um, and we saw a lot of damage in the white matter in a, in an, a strange pattern because it was all along in the back part of the brain. Um, it, it, it almost looked like you could cut a line down the, uh, across the, the guy's shoulders, and below that line, we saw this bright, uh, unusual signal. So, Quick question, Rob. Yes. When you are looking at MRIs, are there certain types of patterns that make you think certain things? MRIs are cool. Yes, uh, absolutely. MRIs are really cool because they are um, much, much more than just a picture. Mm -hmm. When you look at most imaging, or uh, imaging is, is uh, for many years just done based on density, so an X-ray. An X-ray is you, you shoot an X-ray through something, uh, more dense tissue collects it, the less dense tissue let, let, lets go through, and you, you can see what tissues are denser or, or less dense, so water versus bone kind of thing. And there are fancy versions of that, like a CT scan, which is uh, uh, just lots of x-rays layered on top of each other, so giving us this, this uh, bigger, more detailed picture. But um, we're really limited to looking at density. With MRI, you can look at all kinds of things, depending on... Um, what you're trying to see. So you can look at the way that water moves within tissue, how, how if it is getting trapped in cells versus moving freely across cells. You can look at density. You can look at um, how much fat is in tissue versus uh, you know, how much water content there is. There's all kinds of things that you can do. And it, they tell you different things. So if you see that there's areas where there's a lot more, say, water than there should be or a lot more um, uh, uh, fluid than there should be, that tells us that there's swelling edema, something that is causing uh, injury. And just like if you sprain your ankle, you get swelling. Mm -hmm. Same thing if you sprain or injure the cells of the brain, they start to swell. Um, Makes sense. 
So we were seeing this. We were seeing edema just in the back part of the brain. And it it fit a pattern of something uh, that's pretty classically described called PRESS or posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome. Press is easier. Press is easier. Mm-hmm. Press. We'll go with press. So um, press is interesting. It, it, it kind of comes on subacutely, so over the course of hours and causes encephalopathy, which basically means your brain isn't working right. People get confused. They can uh, uh, hallucinate. They can become angry. They're just not themselves. And um, something that was interesting about this guy and what leads to the more interesting part of this case was that um, when people were approaching him, um, he was unable to respond to them in a normal way. So he would come and try to shine a light in his eye and he wouldn't, he wouldn't respond well. Um, but if you walked up to him and tried to say, reach out for him, he would swing his arms towards you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became clear um, that his vision was very abnormal. Um, he was having difficulty uh describing things he was having difficulty with where he was looking and it sort of looked like he was just confused to begin with but as the confusion calmed down press is something the second letter in that is reversible so it's something that can improve so uh, the uh, treatments for this led to kind of gradual improvement over the next couple days of his confusion but he still had difficulty with his vision and after a couple days got to the point where he was able to uh understand where he was, who he was, what had happened, and, and all those sorts of things. But he still wasn't able to see. Mm-hmm. So um, we were following along with this this patient on the medical floor, and I would go in and uh, talk to him in the mornings and ask him, how's your vision today? And he would say, I, I, can't, I can't see anything. Well, what does it look like? It's just, it's all dark. It's all, it's all bright. I, I don't see anything. And I would say, well, can you can you tell me anything about what I look like? He'd say, I, no, I don't know. Well, can you tell me anything about what color the walls are, what, what, the, what is in your room here? And he would try to make guesses. He would hear some noises and say there was, uh, you know, a, a, a heart monitor or a television or something like that. But he truly didn't know. He didn't have any idea of what was around him. His surroundings. That sounds so scary. Is yeah, terrifying. It's just being a normal person, then all of a sudden you can't, can't see. see. No. So, um, but it wasn't. Uh, so, vision is interesting because there's light coming in through the eyes, and and when you mentioned optic neuritis, which is that that bundle of nerves that sends the signal from the eye back into the brain, there's more to it than, than just that. There's also the brain's interpretation, and there are conditions that can lead to something that we call cortical blindness. Cortical blindness is where the vision, the light is getting in through your eyes just fine. The light is going through those optic nerves being transmitted to the brain just fine. It's being sent to different parts of the brain just fine. But when it gets to the back, the part of the brain that interprets vision, uh, people aren't able to see what, what, what is there. They're not able to say this is, hap- this is what this is, this is what this color is, this is what it's looking like. Um, but something that was very unique to this guy um, and is something that we only see really, really rarely in very specific conditions was that he was unable to see and he truly couldn't see, but he also could see. Hmm. So uh, 
what what I mean by that is that when you asked him, um, what do I look like? He would say, I don't know. He was frustrated. He was annoyed by the questions. But then I would do things like say, okay, I'm going to hold some fingers in front of your face. Tell me how many fingers I'm holding up. And I'd hold up two. And he would say, I don't know how many fingers. And I would say, well, just guess. Tell me how many fingers you think I'm holding up. And he would say, I don't know, two. I'd put up four fingers. How many fingers now? I don't know. Well, how many do you think? Uh, four. I'd hold up two hands with six fingers. Six. How many with uh, no fingers up? You're not holding any up. He had no idea that he could see, and yet he could see. That seems complicated to track it, well, it's, and to, like, think through. That's the, complicated. The, 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 one of the easiest things to see was that he was so frustrated and, and having difficulty, but when he got up, he would walk from his bed to the bathroom around the bed, around the curtain, avoiding the computer carrier mm-hmm. on the wall, into the bathroom, to the toilet, and use the toilet without having any problems. And yet he had no concept that he could see. And this is... That's wild. Yeah, it's, it's so... That's um, wild. The, the, the thing that we, we use to, to say this is, uh, what we used to call this is blindsight, where... Um, someone is able to get information from vision, but they don't know that they're getting that information. So can, um, they, can they drive a car? Well, uh, it's probably not a great idea to let them try. I agree. but <laughs> I'm not sure that that, would, that that study would ever pass the IRB. <laughs> but um, in theory, yes. It, it, this is something that we all experience in our day-to-day lives. So uh, I'll ask you a question. Have you ever driven somewhere gotten to your destination and then not known how you haven't killed 50 people and yes you're you're listening to a podcast you're Mm -hmm. listening to music you're thinking about dinner whatever it is and you're not paying attention you don't you're thinking you're seeing things in your mind's eye but your body your eyes you're you're still driving still driving perfectly fine you know it's funny a lot of patients actually come in to report that as a presenting concern yeah. Uh, it's more, It's actually, I think, quite common. If it's people kind of think back, I'm sure everybody can identify a moment where they've done that. Well, it's disconcerting. You know, yes. You, you think that what you're doing all the time is what you're aware of and yep. what you're conscious of, but yep. your body is capable of doing a lot of stuff. A lot of automatic programs. A lot of automatic programs while we're, uh, we are engaged in other mental activities. So um, vision is something where, you know, we know that that sort of happens with driving and other things where we're sort of distracted, but it happens as with things as fundamental as just what we're seeing. So what we're seeing is something that our body sees in one way, our mind sees in a different way. Mm-hmm. And uh, those things usually go together, but there are times where they can get disconnected. And uh, that's that's what happened to this gentleman. It, it um, I honestly... Um, don't know. It's this, this is years ago, so I don't know what happened to him. When I s- followed with him over the course of a few weeks before I, I left that service, um, he had some improvement, mm-hmm. and he was able to do some functions. He was still not able to recognize that he could see. So he understood that he could eat his food. He could use a fork and get it right to his mouth where he needed it to be. He could um, even uh, later... I would ask him what colors my shirt was or what color my tie was back when I would wear a tie. And um, he would tell me without any difficulty, even though he 
didn't know. Yeah. He, he wasn't able to say, I, I, I can see he didn't know, but he would always be able to say, eh, green, maybe. And he was right. And, and that's because when there's information coming into your brain from whatever it's coming in from, a lot of stuff happens. There's a lot of information that gets automatically ap- acted on. We have our reflexes where you, you, you get sensation to a a tendon when we tap you with a hammer and it causes a muscle to jerk. And then there are more complicated ones building up all the way to, you know, when we're driving a car across town without Mm -hmm. thinking about it. Um, With vision, there's information coming in and it gets sent to a bunch of places. It gets sent to be processed by uh, the other things that need to happen. So if you see a horse, uh, you, you send some of that information to the language center where the word H-O-R-S-E shows up in your head. Uh, it goes. Some of it goes to the maybe the fear center if you were trampled by a horse at some point. And then some of it goes back to the conscious center, the area of your brain that processes vision where you see that as a horse. Uh, but um, you can disconnect those things in certain cases and come up with interesting things like blindsight. So that was a good case. That was a lot of fun. And hopefully for anybody hearing this, if you've ever had a moment where you don't know how you got home and you did it safely, maybe it was blindsight. It's, it is. You know, we, probably was blindsight. It was blindsight. We do this and we do it just fine. Yeah. We, we don't need to worry. Um, that was a good case. Thanks. That was a very good case. I like that quite a bit, actually. We, um, we, uh, so we should do more of these cases. I, I like these. I think so, too, because I think they, they segue into good talking topics yes because i have a really good one for next time next time yes i thought i thought of it while you were talking from my own stories in the er uh those are some of the best i got a good one so yeah next time we'll do more okay we'll do more we'll talk about more neurology stuff Um, if if there's things you want to hear make sure you let us know we can talk about anything obviously as you can probably tell we love talking about things Mm -hmm. so we will just drone on and on forever so um thanks for listening have a great day we'll see you later Have a good day, guys. Bye.